0: Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them, take our minds and think through them, and take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray, amen. Two weeks ago, uh, Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of South Africa, died. He was uh, a champion uh, in the struggle against apartheid in that country, he was moral force of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission there, Uh, And in 1984, he was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He was a person of deep faith, great courage, uh, steadfast love, even toward his enemies. He never forgot their basic essential humanity. By all accounts, he had a warm heart, an infectious laugh, uh, and a disarming sense of humor. I read a a transcript of a lecture that he gave once uh, here in this country, and um, he was given a very warm introduction And when he got up to speak, he he was grateful uh, for such a warm welcome. He said it wasn't always so in his country. And he he said that um, in his country, people told stories about him. Like the one where uh, when he died, he went to heaven, which is where he thought he should go. But St. Peter said, uh, no, no, you have to go to the warmer place. And so he was sent down to the warmer place. And uh, three weeks later, there was a loud, insistent, rapping knock at the gates of heaven. And St. Peter opened the gates, and it was the devil, Satan. And uh, St. Peter was kind of surprised. He said, what are you doing here? And Satan said, well, you sent Bishop Bishop Tutu down there, and he's making so much trouble, I've come to ask for political asylum. (laughs) Uh, For all his gentleness, uh, gentleness, for all his warmth, uh, Tutu could cause trouble. The kind of trouble that I'm sure John Lewis would have said was the good kind. Uh, he, uh, bishop Tutu was honest with friend and foe alike, calling everyone to trust in the power of nonviolent, redemptive love. He also had an unflinching commitment to uh, justice for oppressed people. He was a churchman, he was a pastor, he was a bishop. Uh, and in churches, churches in South Africa, I'm sure, this church, the churches I've been part of, we tend to be pretty polite with each other. Uh, in churches, we can try to avoid difficult topics. Sometimes when there's conflicts, we look for a kind of a moderate, neutral spot and hope if we're just nice enough, it'll all work itself out. But Tutu knew better. And so he would often say, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. And he had a very African metaphor to make his point. He said, if an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mice and you say you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. So I want to talk about justice. I don't want to talk about that kind of justice. I want to talk about equity. Last fall we started talking about uh, the new normal because at that time it seemed like the, this pandemic was winding down. Turns out that wasn't completely true. This pandemic will eventually end, though, and when it does, whatever was normal in the past is going to be in the past. I mean, we're coming up on the third year of this pandemic now. Uh, When it ends, we're going to settle into something new eventually, new patterns, new habits, new norms. Uh, And if we're not intentional, I suspect we would just get carried along by whatever's convenient, whatever's conventional. And we will have missed an opportunity to be thoughtful, uh, to be imaginative, to be faithful in what becomes normal. So we've been talking about lenses for looking at the ways we live together as followers of Jesus. Last fall, we talked for a while about reverence. Reverence is a way of seeing the holiness, the beauty, uh, the love of God that runs through everything, that runs through everyone. We're part of an economy that treats everything as a commodity to be bought and sold. We're part of a culture that's committed to consumerism. Reverence is a way of seeing ourselves, a way of seeing others, of seeing the world differently. I've seen all of it as part of God's numinous, creation. So we talked about reverence. We talked about density as a second lens. We talked about the priority of deep, sick relationships in our life together, particularly here as a congregation. Uh, You know, churches changed through this pandemic. Uh, Sundays used to be the hub of our life together as a congregation, but since March 2020, uh, we haven't had Sunday school, not for kids anyway. Uh, there was a point where we had 80 or 90 kids running through this building. There was just an energy that pulsed through this space. Literally running. Literally running, absolutely. Uh, on Sunday mornings, uh, this place, we used to have two services. Right now, there's a th- actually today, there's less than a third of the congregation here, and maybe a third joining us online, uh, and I'm not sure where the other third are. But rather than pining for the way that things used to be, and rather than tracking attendance, I mean, that was the one thing we used to count. Well, we count that in the offering. Uh, but rather than tracking attendance to see how we're doing, density is a way of focusing uh, on what matters, whether we can all be here or not. a way of focusing on the quality, on the depth, on the durability of our relationships. So in a broad way, reverence is about our life with God, uh, density is about our life together. And today I want to talk about justice or equity as a lens for looking at our life in the world, and what we are called to strive for as followers of Jesus, in in whatever's gonna become this new normal. Now here at Portland Mennonite Church, as part of Mennonite Church USA, as part of Mennonite World uh, Conference, um, we're pacifists, right? We're historic peace church. And so this reading today from 2 Corinthians resonates with us. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to God's self and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Reconciliation is the work that we are given to do. We're called to seek peace, to seek the peace of God in our hearts, Uh, in our homes, in our congregation. We're called to seek the peace of the city. We're called to nothing less than seeking peace on earth. But peace, or reconciliation, is authentic only if it's rooted in justice. Reconciliation isn't authentic if it's only papering over differences for the sake of getting along with each other. It's not authentic if, if it's just looking for middle ground, sort of balancing one group's claims against another, because that only perpetuates the status quo, the way things have always been. And that was Tutu's point. If we choose neutrality, just sort of find a middle place to balance everyone's interests against the other, we side functionally with the oppressor, because it sustains what is. Jesus instead, though, came with a vision, with the hope, with a promise of a whole new beloved community. And so reconciliation, to be authentic, to make that promise possible, must be worked, rooted in the work of doing justice, which then raises the natural question, what do we mean when we, uh, when we say justice? How do we decide what is fair, what is just, what is equitable? Uh, people earn PhDs trying to answer that question. People spend careers writing books trying to answer that question. People like Immanuel Kant and John Rawls. The most common answer is found in a Latin phrase, sum, Quique, which means literally, to each his own. So Cicero, Roman orator, famously said, justice renders sum quique. Justice renders to everyone his due. Justice is everyone getting what they got coming. That's a pretty good definition, but if it was that easy, we wouldn't need courts and arbitrators and divorce lawyers and estate attorneys. And do we really want what we got coming? If we've been good, the answer is yes. But if not, I mean, I was only going eight miles over the speed limit. There were people going faster than me. I got the ticket. That doesn't seem just. That parking, that stop sign, it was hidden behind a bush. It was dark. How was I supposed to see it? It's not fair that I get a ticket. That's one way to define justice, to each his own. Justice renders to everyone what they got coming. Man, I had that ticket coming. But if justice is only and always and everywhere enforcing rules about who gets what it can become kind of hard-hearted kind of hard-edged the kind of justice that can sometimes seem unjust so is that really justice well the bible has a different definition and it's a definition that emerges from the story that the scriptures tell the bible starts we all know in the beginning In Genesis 1 and 2, uh, we're told, we hear the story of God calling creation into being. It's a story of God's good gift for all. The story continues with God calling calling people into community. So in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham and Sarah. God promises to bless them with a family and through their family to bless all the families of the earth. The biblical definition of justice is rooted in that story. God calls creation into being for everyone. God calls a people together to bless everyone. That's God's intention. And so justice is everyone getting what they need to live life together, the life together for which God created us all. It's not getting what we are due, but what we need. Justice is getting what we need, what everyone needs to be part of the beloved community that God is creating. Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, one of my favorites, um, writes, we think justice only means giving people what they deserve by their actions. That, however, is not what the word means in the Bible. The Bible means by justice that everyone, because they live in the community, because they are human creatures, are entitled to what is needed for dignity, peace, freedom, health, joy, security. Justice means dignity for children, safety for families, homes for the homeless, schools for all learners, health care for the poor, food for the needy, respect for abused women and children, compassion for men wearied too long, access for the disabled. That's what the word means in the Bible. And that definition then makes sense of the rest of the biblical story. Because in the Bible, if justice is only defined as getting what we deserve, then God is unjust. Because in the Old, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, all things being equal, God favors the poor. That's what liberation theologians call the um, preferential option for the powerless. And we heard it today in the reading from Psalm 146. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down, watches over the strangers, upholds the orphan and the widow. In that Psalm, God doesn't treat everyone equally. God favors the ones who've been marginalized, who don't have access to what is needed. In the Gospels, the stories jesus told the life that he lived embodied that biblical notion of justice there's a parable some of us know from matthew 20 where a landowner hires some uh, some workers for the field and some people show up at dawn and get a job and they work all day and some people show up at noon and he still needs more workers in the field so he hires them and then some people show up late in the afternoon still needs more workers he hires them and at the end of the day everyone goes to get paid and the people who worked the full day get a full day's pay, and the people who worked from noon on get a full day's pay. And people who came late in the afternoon, get a full day's pay. And if I was one of the first ones to show up to work at dawn, I would think that is pretty unfair. Jesus is making clear that the gospel, the gospel has a different notion of justice. In the gospels, Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. Forgiveness is definitionally unfair. Forgiveness, if you've been harmed, means giving up your right to, to satisfaction that you got coming. But forgiveness is what's needed restore relationships, to restore relationships with God, to restore relationships within the beloved community. And at the center of the gospel is the story of the cross, Jesus enduring the injustice of the cross, Jesus wrongly condemned, bearing the pain of our sin. Jesus endured the injustice of the world so that we can experience the justice of God, forgiveness, reconciliation, so justice is getting what we need, what we all need, what everyone needs to live the lives which God has created us, for relationships to be reconciled between friends and strangers, neighbors, even enemies, so that God's will is done on earth as in heaven. And that kind of justice is first deeply personal because all of us, all of us have acted badly. We've hurt others. There's times we've taken what wasn't ours, we've been deceitful, and the Bible just calls that flat-out sin. And the thing is, when we have sinned, when we've hurt someone else, we can't undo what we've done. It's impossible to unspool the consequences that we've set in motion. It's impossible for us to make restitution and to calibrate it so precisely that we can look back as if nothing ever happened. The Bible's pretty blunt about our human culpabilities, Right? In Romans three, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of what God intends for our lives and our relationships. And if justice is only getting what we got due, uh, what we're due, then we can never break that cycle of consequence and indebtedness. But Paul goes on in, in chapter five. But God proves God's love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's not getting what we got due or what we're due but what we need. That's what we need internally. That's what we need spiritually. It's what we need relationally and socially. Because only when we know that we're forgiven, can we forgive others. And only when we know we're loved, can we love others. So the biblical story, the gospel, the good news is always an invitation. It's an invitation to trust that God, who is faithful and just, can forgive our sins. To trust that God can renew in us the capacity to live together in love. And so the question is always, can you trust God? Can we trust God's grace, God's mercy, God's loving kindness, God's justice? The biblical notion of justice, though, is also always public because it always calls us to ask what our neighbors, what strangers, our enemies... What they need, not what they deserve, but what they need. What do people need for dignity and peace and freedom and health and joy and security? What do people need to flourish, to experience God's peace in their lives? And that's where the biblical notion of justice and the conventional wisdom of our culture are at odds, right? In our culture, we think of justice as equality. The Bible envisions justice as equity, and they're different, right? In the sacred text of our country, in the Declaration of Independence, right? We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, which is already a problem. All men are created equal. Uh, women weren't even included. Women weren't, created, uh, weren't treated equally then, and, um, and that's borne itself out through the history of this country. And slaves, whether male or female, didn't matter. Slaves in the new constitution of this country were accounted as three fifths human. Pretty hard to think of yourself as equal then. So it's a wonderful ideal, but it doesn't describe reality. The reality is, are not equal this country and our culture. Some of us are privileged, some people are disadvantaged. So if we think of justice only as equality, is everyone getting the same, it only perpetuates differences, right? It's the elephant with his, uh, with his foot on the tail of that mouse. So the biblical notion isn't equality but equity, and um, Lisa earlier mentioned some illustrations, so we're going to show those right now. Uh, Here's an illustration, uh, this this is what you talked about earlier, um, uh, an image of equality because everyone gets the same, right? Everyone gets a box, but is that just? Well, if you're that short kid on the end, and I was pretty short when I was young, uh, that does not feel uh, right, does it? So that's equality. Let's go to the next one. So this is equity. Not equal, but what's needed. And some people could look at that and say, well, that's not fair. But as we used to say to our daughters all the time, fair doesn't mean equal. <laughs> equal doesn't describe reality. It doesn't account for the privilege that favors some of us. So let's go to the third slide. There's reality on, on the right. And that's, uh, that's me up there and many of us, right? I can get all the boxes I want. I'll just go out and buy more boxes. But all of these images are static. They all assume that the fence is just there. But there's another possibility. So let's go to that last one. The work of justice can include breaking down fences, breaking down systemic barriers. That was the work of Jesus. Remember The words of Paul in Ephesians 2, Jesus broke down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. So justice is getting what is needed, everyone getting what's needed. Equitable, not necessarily equal. But That's not always to, easy to see, especially if you're the elephant with his foot on top of the tail of the mouse. And so to help us see what's needed, what's equitable, Miroslav Volf uh, suggests a practice he calls reverse perspective. And this is from his book, Exclusion and Embrace. He writes, our understanding of God's justice is imperfect. And we can pervert justice even as we seek to do it. We enlarge our thinking by letting the voices and perspectives of others, especially those with whom we may be in conflict, resonate within ourselves by allowing them to help us see them as well as ourselves from their perspective. And if needed, readjust our perspective as we take into account their perspectives. So doing justice requires this practice of reverse perspective. It requires us to ask what people need to experience God's peace. It requires us to ask the ones with whom we disagree, to ask the neighbors we don't know, to ask people living on the street. That's black people, indigenous people, people of color. It requires us to ask and to listen. And that's one of the reasons that we're doing an anti-racism audit here at Portland Mennonite Church. I mean, we're a mostly white congregation. We live in a country that was founded on the notion of white supremacy. I mean, that's how colonialists, that's how settlers could come from Europe uh, to the North America, and imagine it was their right to take land and subjugate and enslave people. And that white supremacy continues to infect us all, continues to infect even the church. Desmond Tutu described it as a river that we've fallen into, and it's hard to get out. But it makes that vision of the beloved community impossible. And so this audit, and there's a little brief announcement about it in the bulletin, uh, is a way for us to see what other people see when they look at our congregation. It's a way for us to listen, to be aware of the water we're swimming in. Even even these windows, it's a way for us to see what other people see. White people looking at these windows uh, have a different response than people of color looking at these windows. So it's a way for us to listen, to be aware of the water we're swimming in, and then to do something about it. But equity isn't just about race, it's a lens for looking at something as monumental as global climate change, right? I mean, the causes and impacts of global climate change are disproportionate, they're unequal. The people bearing the brunt of it are often the ones who are least responsible. So what does justice then require from us? What does it require for them? It's also a lens for looking at something as immediate uh, as homelessness. You know, when you see people living on the street, it's easy for us to revert to that definition of justice as getting what we deserve. It's easy for us to uh, start to think to ourselves, well, if only they made better decisions, if only they worked a little harder, if only they would stop drinking. And then it's pretty easy for us to absolve ourselves of any responsibility. But if justice is not about getting what's deserved, if equity is about getting what is needed, then that's gonna change the way that we think about people who are houseless, people who are living on the street. So equity is a lens for looking at the ways we live in the world as followers of Jesus. And truthfully, it can be overwhelming. And there are days I get pretty pessimistic. In times like that, I am grateful for the life and the faith and the witness of someone like Bishop Tutu, who once said, it may seem daunting but I am a prisoner of hope. So may God grant us the wisdom and the courage to be prisoners of hope too. Amen.